0: Hey, everyone, and welcome to the podcast of Nonsensical Gamers. My name is Matt, and joining me on the cast today is a man in need of a bowl of chicken soup, Dan. Ladies. And a lady who's in need of a game group, Miss Tiffany B. Hello. I'm sorry. I try to highlight your strengths at the beginning of the the show.
1: I think it's more so that my game group is in need of me (laughs) at this point. Yeah.
0: (laughs) they're little put po- their posters fault. of like a uh, lost tiff all around town <laughs> in case you don't know who we are or where to find us or you forgot, you can do so on Facebook. Facebook.com slash the League of Nonsensical Gamers. Feel free to shoot us an email at podcast at nonsensical Head on over to YouTube searching for the League of Nonsensical Gamers to check out our live show recordings, some playthroughs, and tiff's wonderfully produced segments. You can also join us on the bgg Guild number two zero seven seven to join in the conversation, or find us on places like Twitter and Instagram if you're just looking for a place to chat about some board games. Today's show is going to be a good one, as usual. We are going to talk about some failed flipped because dan has torn through his gen con collection we have some trivia on kickstarter our favorite topic and then we are going to do a little discussion about gaming slumps something very relevant to all of us at given times but before we do any of that we're going to jump right into what we've been playing and i think it's only appropriate that i start this week because my co-hosts are still working through their their game plays here so tiff you uh you're in the show notes with me what are you most interested to hear about
1: let's go raiders of the north sea
0: so Raiders. Raiders of the North Sea is one of the Shem Phillips trio, I guess it would be called. It. They're all set in this North Sea collection. This is a New Zealand producer, and it's he runs Garfield Games, is the publishing company. So Raiders of the North Sea is the second in the collection. I played the first game, got that off of Kickstarter, and really didn't like it. Uh, that was Shipwrights of the North Sea. Was not a big fan of that. It was like a card drafting game. Didn't really work out well. But Raiders is actually pretty fantastic. I've only played it one time. But what I'm hearing from my conversation with other people and using your experience with Champions of Midgard, Tiff, apparently this is kind of a more interesting Dyson Viking game. You know? Ooh. Yeah. All right. So I'll essentially what you're doing in this game is um, you're trying to raid different settlements and raiding settlements gets you points and glory and resources and things like that but the way that you do that is by crafting a team a group of individuals who are going to travel with you they're not all soldiers some of them you know have different skill sets and powers shield maidens shipbuilders things like that Uh, you're You're drafting or drawing and uh, paying to hire these people into your crew. And then when you have a crew that fits a certain rating spot and enough resources to go there, you can travel there, you can roll some dice, which is actually fairly mitigatable, which is nice, so you're not beholden to the luck. And if you succeed, you can get some victory points and some resources, which lets you, you know, compound on that engine and keep it flowing. The most interesting part of the game is that this is a single worker worker placement game where you will place a worker, and then you will pick up a worker. So you get two actions per turn, and you'll keep cycling through this place a worker, pick up a worker, and every time you do that, you take the action related to it. Each worker, there are three different colors. You've got black, gray, and white, and those workers let you go to different spaces. So you actually need to unlock through rating some of the more rare or powerful workers that allow you to go to the more rare or more defensible raiding spots. So it's got this really interesting progression throughout the game where you start slow, you start building up. When you get access to you know these more powerful meeples, you can go do more powerful rating and it kind of snowballs until the game hits its climax and ends. Really enjoyed this game. The arts by the miko i think is the pseudonym that this individual goes over it's got a really kind of like gritty comic book style viking theme to it i really dig the game and i cannot wait to play it again so do you think it's something that you might be interested in given your trials of champions of midgard tiff
1: well i own it so i'm encouraged to play it now
0: i think that it might be the game you were looking for when you grabbed that one
1: I like Champions of Midgard. I didn't hate it at all, but it didn't go over well with the person it needs to go over well, being my husband. So, yeah. I don't know. If the, if it's a little bit better awesome
0: now i haven't played midgard so i can't say i'm just going off of the conversations i've had with you and other people uh, i think it's really strong i'm it,
1: still holding you accountable
0: that's perfectly I acceptable i think that that's reasonable okay. <laughs> uh it's it's not you know it's kind of like midweight, probably low to midweight. it's not very complex but it's got a satisfying progression to it that i really enjoyed and we played it at two players so that might you know lend some credence to you getting it out on the table with your husband tiff all righty dan the man Go ahead and blow your nose once or twice, and tell me, what have you been playing?
2: I don't feel so hot, so I'm not going to get into anything complex. But let's talk the least complex thing I played, but something I had fun with, and that is Suspicion. This is a, I don't know, a deduction game in the same vein as, like, your clues and Mystery of the Abbeys. Uh, The cool thing about this is a Target-exclusive game. It's done by some... I can't think of it off the top of my head, but it's some design studio that has produced this set of a couple of games for Target specifically. And they've also recently come out with the Harry Potter Hogwarts Battle Deck Builder game. It's the same company, the same design studio that's designed both of these. And I've heard good things about the Harry Potter game, especially for families, but... I'm always in the mood for a deduction game, especially a new twist on one. And suspicion was uh, had some really cool elements to it. Uh, number one, uh, I really like the art style of it. The components were were pretty top notch. This game, I got it. It retails at Target for $19.99, and I actually got it on sale for $15. So you, you can't really beat what's in the box for 15 bucks. It's pretty impressive. Um, nice little chunky meeples for each of the characters that have the, the character kind of, I guess, screen printed on them. Nice little cardboard gems, and the cards were good quality as well. And then it comes with a pad and some pencils uh, for the deduction piece of it. But essentially what you are is you are a... Per- I can't remember the backstory. It's just like your other ones where you're at a party and you're trying to deduce... Who the other people are at this party, and on your score sheet you've got your you know a row for everyone that's at the party, and then you can mark down the other players as you gain more information um, to try to deduce who they are. This is unlike Clue or um, some of the other games. You're not ultimately trying to find one person, the who done it kind of thing. This is a game that just. You're trying to collect the most gems. Uh, so I, I think you're thieves. I think ultimately. I think you're thieves at this party trying to collect these gems throughout this mansion uh, while trying to identify the other people. So you're going to get points for the gems you collect. And you're going to get points for identifying the other people correctly. So in the same vein as like a In the Name of the Rose, the Feld game that I like so much, you're trying to kind of mask who you are. While still obtaining information on who the other people are, which always leads to this really cool little tension, um, and the way they do that is is kind of unique. the The board is split into twelve rooms, I think, in the board, and in each room on the board is printed either one or two of the different gems. There's three types of gems. There's the the yellow, the red, and the green. And on your turn, what you're going to do is you're going to uh, roll two dice. And on these dice are the different characters. And the die faces that show up are the characters you're going to move this turn. So you're going to be moving these characters. And then once you've moved these characters, whether or not you are that character or not makes no difference. Um, You're going to play a card from your hand. And on this action card is one of two things. There's an action at the top and an action at the bottom. And you're going to take both in any order you choose the bottom action is always the portrait of another character, okay? So when you play this card and you use the bottom action, you're going to look at where that player is and you're going to pick one of the other uh, players around the table, okay? And you're going to ask them if their character is in sight of the character card you played. So if I'm on the, the middle row, you're going to look at horizontally and vertically from where they are on the grid. And if if I ask Matt, are you, you know, Colonel Mustard, a.k.a. the yellow person in this game, if he if I can see him, he's going to secretly slide me a card that says yes or no. And I'm going to look at it. And from there, I'm going to be able to, you know, gain some information about who Matt is or who Matt isn't uh, based on kind of the other questioning I've done throughout the game, et cetera. One of the actions is if you are in a room, your character with gems labeled on it, you can choose one of those gems and everyone gets this information. So if I chose the red gem, everyone around the table knows that my character is in a a room with a red gem. You're trying to position your character secretly in a way that gives away the least amount of information to the other people while collecting this gem. Uh, Because that gem is going to get you points at the end of the game. Then there's other actions that just let you randomly take a gem so that doesn't give away any information. There's other actions that let you move a character to any room. There's a couple of different variations on the action piece. But it's it's a really simple mechanic. But I found it to be kind of elegant in the way that they did the deduction piece of it. I thought it was really neat. Um, we played it at four players. Um, I think my only qualm was that for me, it was a little bit easy to deduce who everyone was. I did it. I, I picked Steve out on the second term and it, it might've just been the luck of the cards in my hand versus my positioning of the characters, etc. Uh, but I picked Steve out right away, so that eliminated him, and then I just had to worry about Matt and Smee. And then at the end of the game, you just count up your gems, and whoever has the most, plus the characters you identified, wins. So I, I liked it overall. I thought, again, for 15 bucks, that's a steal. I thought it was a lot of game for that price point. Uh, again, the production quality is great. I'd be interested to play it at the different player counts, because it does go all the way up to six players, which is great. So two to six players. All in all, I I liked it. I I'd recommend checking it out if you're at Target.
0: It's hard to be mad about a fifteen dollar game from Target, even a twenty dollar game from Target. It does have some pacing issues though, where the biggest thing for me, I think that everything you said about like the the good qualities of it are accurate. It's got some interesting deduction. It's you know, a little bit more game than you would expect from this title. But the pacing, because the game doesn't end until one of those gem stacks is gone, at least at four players was the issue because you you gain information at a rapid pace. So if you don't deplete the resources at a rapid pace, you end up like our game where everyone knew who everyone was. So the deduction piece ended up being kind of a moot point, and it just mattered about who collected gems. And we even tied on that as well. So that it was weird how we were all kind of even because almost too much time passed. And I, you know, maybe the gems would go faster in a five or six player game, but at least the game that we played had that issue where we couldn't once I found out who everyone was I couldn't end the game fast enough to take advantage of that that I you know that I knew who everyone was and everyone else hadn't figured me out yet so it was a a bit problematic there in, in terms of the game mechanics and things like that but you know still fun and you know 15 bucks who can really complain it looks good I'm surprised how big that box is and things like that you know like just overall the production is is pretty over the top for $15 $20 kind of thing so it was cool though I don't think it's better than Clue in terms of deduction. I think Clue is still more interesting deduction, but this game isn't necessarily a full-on deduction game. It's got that set collection thing going too. So, Tiffany B, have you been playing anything? Have you have you been? What have you been hoping to play? What's been on your plate?
1: <laughs> well, I mean, I have my top of the stack, and I have the it all set out on my table, just like staring me down. But it's not getting played at this moment. Sorry, I haven't even started board game club yet at school, so. A lot of my usual outlets for gaming are not happening right now, just because yeah. I've been playing lots of Lords of Waterdeep, if you want to hear <laughs> about my trials and tribulations with that. Are there any
0: other apps or, you know, Bois or, or any of those things that you've been digging into?
1: No, not really. I mean, I've, a lot of times I'll just play a game on my phone to feel more gamery.
0: Yeah.
1: So I've I've played a couple of games of Stone Age lately, just because I'm like I need to play something that yeah. has meeple's and just feel better <laughs> than constant Lords of Waterdeep because I'm just constantly being bombarded with mandatory quests and getting very pissed off at that game <laughs> <laughs> all the time now
0: you i think you've paid your dues on lords of Waterdeep. i don't think you have to play it anymore
1: i know but we play a game and then it's like hey you want to play another game i'm like all right maybe i'll win this time i don't know why everybody plays mandatory quests on me i never win yeah anyway
0: i'm sorry that's
1: sorry. that's my whining about Waterdeep minute
0: all right well tiff is sorry is a bit of the reason Why Gamer Slumps is coming up today in the discussion topic. So we will chat about that in a little bit. Not to highlight Tiff's misfortune. We're going to get you out of that slump is the plan. (laughs) But I will go ahead and talk about another game that I've been playing. I've been playing a lot of Grifters, which I picked up from Indie Board and Cards. Uh, It's on my top of the stack, so I at least got one game done. That's good. And Grifters is a game that we actually highlighted on a Kickstarter spotlight one time. Because it's a, a really interesting card and hand management game that involves like a cooldown mechanism and it's also got some really stellar artwork. So the game is not terribly complex. All you do on your turn is you can play a card or you can play a group of cards. You always play those cards into your first of your three slots which are called knights because thematically you're trying to you know run odd jobs for the mob and things like that. Uh, You know typically you do those things at nighttime. So you play some cards. If you play a single card you get to use its ability. If you play a set of cards it allows you to go on a job which is essentially a like a set uh, contract completion thing so if I have three reds or three reds and a blue I can take the contract and get the benefits at the beginning of your turn all the cards you played shift one day and anything that falls off of your player board, you know, goes from night three to the refresh place, you'll get to pick up at the end of the turn. So that's how your cards cycle through. They've got this three turn lag time before you get to play them again. So really interesting to kind of manage that. Uh, the game I think overall is a lot of fun. I really like the hand management system. I like the idea that I've got a way, what's valuable now, what can I wait on? When are my cards gonna come back to me? Uh, it, I played it at two, three, and four. It's paced fine because you actually add in new contracts depending on the number of players, so it scales in that in that way. Um, I do think that overall the game is not—it's not overly memorable. This isn't this isn't the top of my 2016 or anything like that. I think it does one thing in a really clever way, and I like that, and it's fun. But it's not a game to write home about. I don't know that everyone needs to go out and buy Grifters, but I think that if you can get it cheap or you get a chance to play it, or if you like interesting hand management, Grifters is actually really cool. And I still play it and love to put combos together and love to try to chain things. Um, I'm still discovering you know, what cards interact with what and what cards are useful when. It has a little bit of balance issue in terms of some cards interact due to the number of players that are playing. So in a two-player game, cards are significantly less valuable um, than others. When you play, you know, if it's steal from each opponent, you only have one opponent. That's a less valuable card when you only play two two players. But that gives you something to think about. You know, I don't want to go for this card this this game i need to plan accordingly so things to think about it's only 25 bucks you can get it for like 16 or 18 online if you're into that so i'm happy to have it i was excited to get it i'm still playing it most of the people that i've played it have been okay with it not overwhelmed not enthusiastic or ecstatic but you know it's a solid little game okay cool good filler so I'm really liking it I've played it probably almost 10 times now and uh, it'll it'll stick around it's cool I know Dan got to play it too I don't know if you have any thoughts Dan um it's not memorable at all <laughs> it's got that one little cool
2: mechanic of the cooldown and the rest of the game is just a snooze and just to caveat that just for people out there this is not like this is hand management with a ton of take that in it like you are stealing cards from people you're stealing points from people you are switching cards with people like this is a ton of just player interaction so i I just want to caveat that out there because i like hand management a ton But I, I'm one of those people that does not like steal from mechanics. I just, I just, I don't want that in my games. I don't like it. I just think it detracts from the fun parts that I am having with it that, oh, randomly, oh, you're going to take two of my points in my card. That's, that's cool. Like I, I, that just takes away from any strategies I had and you have to play tactical in that instance. And as I've said before on this podcast, I'm not huge on highly tactical games and I don't really like take that game. So Um, but I, I understand that this is a type of game that people will like. So if you are into those highly interactive player count games, not player count games, I don't know what I'm saying, highly interactive hand management games, then there you go this is for you. And as Matt said, it's cheap. The art's kind of nice. Um, but overall, I just felt like once you got past that hand management part, nothing about it as memorable is a really good word, Matt, you chose well. Um, nothing about it was that interesting. You're just playing a hand, a set of cards and taking a contract and then taking a couple points and then likely losing those points in the next turn. So I, I, yeah, I, I understand why people like it. And, um, but yeah, the big thing for me is I didn't really like the the take that aspects of it.
0: Dan likes his mobsters to be nice. High fives and donuts all around.
2: Well, there's no theme in this game. Pictures all right, Dan, cards.
0: what else have you dug into? We'll do one more game before we move along. All right, let's talk Dreamwell
2: then. So Dreamwell is a Kickstarter project that I backed and was just fulfilled. This is from Action Phase Games, and I apologize. I don't remember the designer's uh, name off the top of my head. Um, I do remember the artist's name because this was the giant selling point on the Kickstarter, and that's Tara McPherson. Um, this was loud and proud all throughout the Kickstarter page and the updates and everything, um, and her artwork is all over this game. Um it's essentially an abstract set collection game um the game you are in this crazy dream world that i I don't know i was high on some cold medicine yesterday and this still was very trippy so (laughs) um, play this with caution if you're susceptible to seizures i guess is what i'd say first and foremost because it's really trippy uh but it looks really nice on the table um, you basically have these little balloon characters. They're balloons with eyes so they are personified balloons that you are trying to travel through this dream world and find your friends, uh, these little dream world friends. And each tile, there's a, f- a grid of four by four in the center of the table. And each tile has three pieces of information on it. It has doors, which allow you to move to the different tiles in various directions. It has a terrain type. So there's one of four terrain types. And then it has one of, was there eight creatures, I guess, within the dream world? I think there's eight creatures. Yes. Yeah. So it's got those three pieces of information. And essentially what you're trying to do is you're trying to complete these friend cards that are in your hand. And each friend card has on it two different creatures and a terrain type. And the goal to play these friend cards to your tableau is to have your balloons positioned on the two creatures and the terrain type, okay? So you're trying to navigate this little dream world with your abstract balloon pieces and get them to the, the two creatures and or terrain types that you need to play from your hand. <laughs> Once you fulfill that, you can play the dream card, your friend card, to your tableau, and you're going to score. There's two pieces of information on the bottom of this friend card. The left-hand side of the card is the end game points you're going to score, and that could be straight-up points. That could be points per type of friend you have. Um, there's a couple of different things there, and on the right-hand side is a ability that you get immediately. Some of these abilities allow you to negate a creature, so it says you've located this creature already, so it acts as if you had a balloon on it. Same goes for a specific terrain type. Some let you draw new friend cards, all kinds of things. Um, so you're going to continue to do this until one player has played out seven friend cards, and that triggers the end game, and then you're going to add up your points. So a very simple game we turned this one out rather quickly probably like 45 minutes I think ultimately and Matt can maybe speak to this too for me there was one specific type of card again this was the first play so I'm I'm going to caveat that with this but there was one specific type of card and or combo that was just completely unbalanced in my opinion I think The, the end game scoring cards are not fairly balanced. There's just some, some math. If you do the math and et cetera, there's like, Smee had the one card was like, collect three of these wolf friend people. And if you did. You either got five points or seven points depending on that card. But if you had four of those cards, you got all of those bonuses. The the thing there was some of those cards specifically had the wolf people on them. So you were already one step closer by just playing that card. Without showing people the cards, it's kind of tough to describe through radio. It just... It snowballed into this thing that none of us could even compete with because a lot of the other stuff we were going after required like four or five, six different cards to even get to those points that Smee was getting to. It was ridiculous. Uh, for instance, like Kelly played Kelly played nine friend cards. Smee only played six, and Kelly still lost by like four or five points. Like that's how powerful those three cards Smee had were, and it was just. I don't know it was it was okay. I, I I liked the game in theory. I'd like to play it again um, with that knowledge in mind of those those specific cards and see how it turns out. Um, but again, I don't like games where you specifically have to combat one dominant strategy throughout the whole game, preventing someone else from doing it and not being able to kind of focus on your own strategy. So we'll see. beautiful game. Again, simple mechanics, reasonable price point. So we'll see. I'll I'll, I'll report back on this um, after a future play. Yeah,
0: I agree that the idea that I don't like playing games where I have to stop, I have to spend my actions to stop you from doing things because unless it's a drafting. So we game. <laughs> <laughs> it's well, it's one thing to be a drafting game. This has like a drafting component to it, I guess, because you've got this market of cards that you can draw. Like drafting games, the point of the game, you know, hate drafting or whatever you want to call it, is. A primary component i can see your strategy developing this is feels like something totally different but i still have to spend my actions to wipe the board or take that card that i don't necessarily want but you want it so you know it comes in here and i think that overall i'm trying to find out where i fall in this game after one play i think it's good for them that they chose to do the weird quirky art style and it makes perfect sense that they would spend their time highlighting that art style uh, because Nick Little, who's the designer, don't know Nick Little. I'm sure he is a wonderful guy. Uh, I find this game completely uninspired <laughs> mechanically. You don't do anything in it. All you do is move around. And we technically did not play the advanced version, which allows you to flip the tiles. But being someone who plays many, many, many games, um, just kind of at face value and, and thinking about it, I don't see how the... The combinations of twisting and flipping the tiles would really make this game all that more interesting because all you're trying to do is get your little balloons to here or to there. So on your turn, you grab a card that you want to complete and you try to move your guys. And if you happen to grab a card and be close to, you know, if you get the right combination of cards and you only have to stay in certain areas, you move less and you can complete more and, and be more efficient. Um, but in general, I found the game completely un- uninteresting from a mechanical standpoint. The artwork is super weird, super quirky i i get why people are interested in it it's off the chain it's this is like a tiff game in terms of theme because it looks like a bad acid trip uh (laughs) but i just i the game i don't see how this game is all that interesting am i am i missing something in terms of what really draws people to play a game like this no
2: i I mean i i I agree with you to be honest with you i when i when i backed it i really liked the idea of positioning your balloons you know in a specific way to perform the 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 friend action i thought that was was a cool mechanic but in its execution it really wasn't all that hard to do um no. Again, we didn't play the advanced version, so maybe flipping the tile—I feel like flipping the tiles might make it easier, but um, I, I don't know. I, I completely agree with you on that standpoint. I was—I was very just kind of—it uh, was just routine. Like I just kind of went doot, do do, jump off the board, jump back on. Okay, there I am, cool. Maybe it's just—I don't know. And the fact that you can rotate, like. If it stayed static, it might make it a little tougher. I don't know. Like I, I, I don't know. I agree yeah. with you. Um, maybe a bigger grid. Maybe uh, I'm not sure. Something was missing though overall. But like I, I said, the, I the, thought the base mechanic had of the playing the positioning game. I thought that was interesting, but everything that surrounded it just fell flat.
0: I yeah. I mean, I think that that is cool, and maybe. You know, there's no blocking. Like, if I'm on a space, you can come join me. There's no issue with that. Maybe if you completed a card, you had to flip the tiles. So, like, that tile wasn't available anymore. Now it's something new. Like, there's there's ways that you could mix it up. But it just felt very... Success in the game was all about efficiency. So, spending the least amount of actions to complete your contract cards or your friend cards. So... You don't have any control over that other than the card that you choose to complete, but that re- revolves around what's available when your turn comes around. So somebody wipes the board right before you, or somebody takes your card. Like the ability to just—I don't know—it's something doesn't sit right with me in terms of. How do I get better at a game like this? I don't know that it is a game that you really kind of train up to. Like, I, I don't know. No. It just felt very kind of in the moment I do this to, to do this and we'll see what I can do next turn. Because you know. It
2: relied on building your tableau with symmetry. Not symmetry. What's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> S- synchronization. What's Syner- the- Synergy. Synergy, Synergy. not <laughs> symmetry. Sorry, it's the cold medicine. And I looked online last night after we played this because I was curious if people had brought this up. And there was a lot of, in the early reviews, a lot of like fours threes and five ratings for this game and all of them kind of mentioned the unbalanced friend cards as far as the scoring and I was I felt a little bit relieved that I wasn't the only one because I don't really rely on BGG to like give me too much as far as my opinion is concerned but I do like sometimes when I have this opinion that I feel goes against the grain that other people are feeling it because it makes me feel a little bit better that I'm not the only one I guess because some of the combos were just better than others. Like, it was just flat out, like, why would I even collect this card kind of thing? Um, it's on my four trade list just for fun.
0: Yeah. I, I, you know, one last thing. I guess the, the other thing is I didn't get into the, the theme. The artwork didn't sell me, and I usually like things like that. So I guess it's like one whole piece. It's like it, it, didn't grab me. It's kind of like Scythe was for me. Like the artwork was the selling point,
2: but it just didn't do enough for me to make it that much more interesting. Well, no, it's all right. Tiff,
0: are you interested in Dreamwell?
1: I was. Did you get Dreamwell? <laughs> no. I didn't know anything about the gameplay, so I didn't buy it. I was like, "Oh, this art is cool." Normally, like five years ago, I would have insta bought it based yeah. on that artwork. But I'm just pickier now, and now I'm I'm glad that I'm pickier. Apparently,
0: yeah. I mean, I play it, if a good chance you might enjoy it.
1: Yeah, I got good games to play, so. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I know. I'll
1: pass on it.
0: <laughs> Let's take a quick break. When we come back, Tiff is going to talk because she she got rid of some games and Dan got rid of some games. You can't make me. And then Dan's going to run us through some trivia. So, join us for that. Right, everyone, we are back and we are going to jump right in to a segment just for Tiff. Well, Dan's going to be <laughs> there too, but I want to hear Tiff's lovely voice. We're doing failed and flipped. Dan and Tiff have gotten rid of some games. I don't do that because I'm me. So, <laughs> Tiff, what has left your collection and what have you gotten in return, including potentially glorious, glorious dollar bills?
1: Oh, I was going to say, I sold some games recently. I haven't been doing many trades, I don't have time for trades. It's so much. It takes so much effort to negotiate a trade, whereas selling is just like, hey, you want this money? Done. Done. And uh, I got rid of one that kind of surprised me. I put it up on BGG for like a good amount. And that was my copy of Dungeon Run from Plaid Hat Games. Yeah, and it was new in Shrink and it's out of print and it was never getting played here I bought it in the height of my plaid hat fangirl days I was like oh I love Summoner Wars this is based in the same universe I need to have it it's a dungeon crawl there aren't enough dungeon crawl games this is gonna be cool
0: remember little tiff
1: I know back in 2011
0: (laughs) just didn't know what the world had in store for you
1: So I think this is the game that's been sitting on my shelf in Shrink the longest. And I finally was just like, this is an embarrassment, this game, sitting here for this long. I mean, really, this is 2016. That game has been sitting on a shelf in Shrink for five years. And no one in my group or in my my various groups that I've gone through over the last five years have been interested in playing it. So
0: I mean, I I think that's a great... A great move because it's out of print they they're not doing anything with that title and if it ever does come back in print then you're gonna lose your value so i think you've I think you've made a smart yeah. move tiff
1: i feel good about it i was i was surprised that it went as quickly as it did but now i have another space on my shelf
0: and a couple of bucks <laughs> in your pocket to spend on games
1: i'm probably not you know I'm, I'm really not spending money on games these days
0: sorry to spend on dog strollers and dog stroller accessories
1: dog stroller like it like needs a cup my dog
2: stroller no, he needs a cup holder
1: i have yeah. cup holders in my dog stroller that's standard Off-road tires everybody knows that oh yeah yeah, yeah. i could upgrade
2: a roll tires cage
0: a in case windy. you flip
1: <laughs> it basically is a roll cage because it has like a thing that comes down like a shade. <laughs> You zip him into the whole thing. So he's completely protected. If we took a spill, he would remain inside.
2: Where Tiff lives, she doesn't need off-road tires. It's probably the flattest place I've ever been in my life. Like that.
1: It's Ohio. I know. That
2: area of Ohio was literally just flat.
1: I mean, we had like <laughs> glaciers and stuff back in the day. We were flat around here. It's,
0: yeah. It's a beautiful place. Makes for place. good dog strolling. Ohio's a beautiful place. Yeah.
1: Thanks, Dan.
0: It is. Filled with beautiful people. oh Aw. Maybe. Now
1: you're just sucking up.
0: Yeah, I don't what, know.
1: What'd you get rid of, Dan? <laughs>
0: Everything. Everything. I knew he was going to say that.
2: <laughs> um, so I basically purged the entirety of my Gen Con purchases. Um, I've spoke on this before. So um, Oceanos sold. Thought it was okay. Didn't need it at this point. So I sold that, got my money back, actually made a couple bucks on that. Lotus, again, that one I actually I liked that one, but it's not something I need at this point. So, as I mentioned before, I got a game called Bullfrogs that I love that gives me that little card play area control that I really enjoy. So, that that one's where I would go to before I went to Lotus, you know, with the caveat that Lotus is phenomenally good looking and looks awesome on the table. That little gimmick of the cards played to form a flower is it's awesome. It works. Good game, just didn't really need it. Uh Terraforming Mars, as I mentioned before, that one was sold um, during the final scoring of the game. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Again, I I like it, but that's one I'm willing to to wait on, and I don't. Yeah, I got other games that I'll play before that.
0: Um, so Dan got a sixty three points and seventy dollars. Yes. <laughs> Basically Grimslingers, I sold to Matt because
2: he wanted it what up? and it was one I bought kind of on a whim knowing that Matt wanted it and I had interest in it. But it as I read more into it as when I got home, I realized that he was going to get way more use out of it than I was. I parted
0: with it, but it's still he, he didn't make any money off me. Nope. That's fine. I was going to buy it anyway, and I've already played it, so. And now Dan can play the campaign with me. Yeah, that's fine. I don't need it taking up
2: my shelf space. It can take up yours, which is perfectly fine. (laughs) It's a really good-looking game, though. Um, The art is kind of what pushed me over on it. And the last one, I got rid of my Legendary Firefly recently. Um, actually, this week I traded it for Millennium Blade, which which is
0: such a weird move.
2: Um, I, don't, I don't understand why everyone's saying that's a weird move for me. If the theme and the kind of the mechanics are all based on competitive ccg play and for those who don't know like i was huge into that scene throughout my teens and 20s like i used to play a ton when i moved to england i had them ship my cards to me in england so that i could play throughout england in like uh wild tcg competitive tournaments and stuff like that so I, i'm big into that scene and i was very intrigued by the way that they did it because it gives you all the kind of little rushes that you get from the competitive ccg scene like the the trading and the the buying new packs and seeing what you get and then the building of the little combos in your deck and all of that without the huge like you know money sink of the CCG and you can play it in an hour and um, yeah so I'm, I'm very interested to try it out so I don't I don't know why I'm getting a lot of stick for it I might hate it but because
0: um, it's a hyper thematic deck building game
2: but it's it's not like your typical deck building like
0: i'm not saying so i i'm all for this like i want to play it and i think it's totally cool i hope you do like it i'm not knocking you for it it you gotta admit though knowing yourself this is a little out of the usual
2: well i i traded one for one i had a deck building game that i thought was subpar and i traded it for one that's hopefully not subpar so we'll see that's fair
0: the reason why i threw this originally up here for failed and flipped was that like what was sp- bad about legendary firefly i didn't get to hear anything about it
2: legendary firefly uh we didn't even finish the first campaign because the thing killed us like instantly it was ridiculous it, and, and that's not a bad thing obviously a co-op you want to be challenging But I didn't find, I didn't find the mechanics all that interesting. one of the reasons I got rid of Legendary, my Marvel one. Like, I just thought they could have done so much more with it. There was a lot of theme in the cards themselves. But again, mechanically, I just didn't see how, how to go about doing it. I I don't know. And again, it was already on thin ice because that art is horrendous. And as I played it, it just made me, I didn't think it would bother me as much as it did. It just made me angrier and angrier as I played it. I was like, this production is pathetic. Like, it's just Absolutely trash. So I I got rid of it and From a monetary standpoint, I made out because Millennium Blades is a much more expensive game. Plus, I got the Kickstarter version of Millennium Blades, which comes with all the promos and expansions. So um, I'm very happy with the trade from that standpoint. And if I don't like Millennium Blades, I think it has a nice hype and buzz that I can get rid of it rather easily on another flip. Um, So that was kind of where my my risk tolerance was with on that trade. Yeah.
0: It's weird that Legendary Firefly, I think that, and maybe I'm biased, but Alien just fits that system for some reason, like with scan. Scanning and the way things move, just Alien thematically fits so well.
2: Now, you know, I played with uh, our buddy Dan, and he's played Alien and owns Alien, and he said the scanning was the same and all that stuff, and it was, like, I thought those little added mechanics made it better than legendary marvel yeah i I wasn't overly impressed with it and like i said the art just pushed me over the edge because i was like this is just this is sad i paid all this money and this is what they're giving me like that just made me angry from a consumer standpoint yeah Yeah. um which really upsets me because i love firefly and i was so excited to try it like it had all the different episodes and maybe i'll give it another shot down the road when it's like in the bargain bin or something like that you know it's like selling a car before you lose equity in it kind of thing like let's let's flip it now or it's going to be stuck on my shelf for years to come yeah
1: i'm happy for this trade it just makes me feel very justified in not buying it myself because i was super tempted at gen con but you like alien so you might like it i yeah but But this problem and i have alien and and if it's like relatively the same but alien fits it better mm, i'm okay I can just watch Firefly while I play Alien.
2: <laughs> yeah, see I have no interest in the Alien IP. Like I the Firefly and the Predator and the Marvel ones are like the 3 that really hit home for me. I have no attachment to You mean to you're Alien. not going to be getting
0: Buffy next year? I mean if it was just a oh, box
2: yeah. full of like Sarah Michelle Gellar pictures I'd buy it.
0: No, I think what we've learned is Firefly games should not be bought immediately. No. I, I like the Gale Force 9 one a lot. Fool me but see, once. even their best one, the Gale Force 9 one, is not a game that you needed to rush out and buy. It's widely available. It's on sale all the time. Like, it's a game that you can get easily. Yes, but it's, easily. it's
2: an IP I will i will try quicker than most because well, I, and I think it.
0: you're lucky because you're an expert flipper and you also like everyone else loves firefly so you can flip the dice game you can flip legendary oh, like you can that dice you game. can buy these and play them and get rid of them quick enough before anybody realizes the jig is up yeah. well this game was 400 so. times
2: better than the dice game so we'll put that
0: well one
1: let's not talk about that dice game remember
2: that
0: dice game
1: guys i'd rather talk about how i never play games than talk about firefly <laughs> the dice game i'd rather oh, not tiff. play games than play firefly the dice nice game. Segue,
0: should tiff. we start board game would you rather
1: <laughs> would yes. you rather
0: not play games at all or would you rather play firefly the dice game
1: <laughs> easy answer
0: but what if you played firefly the dice game with dan and tc um, or not play games at all
1: i mean can i just hang out with dan and tc
0: no you got to roll the dice and you got to think about your moves we would make fun of that game Uh -uh. so much
1: all right well i would do that like we did
0: on our periscope (laughs) (laughs) yep
1: that was fun all right
0: right, so things are leaving collections money is being earned i'm buying games for whatever reason (laughs) This is how the world turns. Uh let's talk about let's talk about Kickstarter. Dan, you've got some trivia prepared for us, apparently. This is a surprise move. Uh and Tiff will get a chance to talk. This was random.
2: Um usually our shows have some sort of semblance of like a theme or something, but this is just kind of out of the blue. I was going through all my um my luggage and stuff from my closet, and I found this little flyer that I got when I spoke on those Kickstarter panels at Gen Con, and this was a um like an infographic flyer produced by Casual Game, the magazine, uh, Casual Game Insider. And they kind of went through Kickstarter over the last two years and like compiled these stats. And I thought they were interesting. So I, I thought I'd just run you guys through some of them and maybe you know, provide a little education to the listeners at the same time. Nothing fancy. I think for most of these we'll go Price is Right style. So we'll just take a number and we'll go closest That will require math, so I might not award points to the correct party at the beginning because of my cold medicine. Um, But we'll eventually get to that point. So we'll go closest without going over for some of these, and then I'll tell you when we'll switch it up. So these have to do with the tabletop games funded on Kickstarter from 2014 to 2016. So just giving you guys your scope. Okay? Okay. So let's start with a, a basic one. How many tabletop projects have been funded since 2014? And le- and to caveat that, for those who don't know, the caveat, I keep saying caveats. What the hell is wrong with me? I need new vocabulary today. And the to sound word fancy. of the week
1: is... Caveats! Caveats. Caveats.
2: caveats. Um, so, for those listening that aren't as familiar with Kickstarter or the Kickstarter tabletop thing, this includes all sorts of things. This includes your tabletop media. This includes your your war games, your board games, your dice games, your miniatures, your RPGs. So it's anything analog, basically. Anything you don't do on a console.
0: It typically does not involve things like playing cards and stuff, though, that they do have a separate category for things like that. Your best guess. How many tabletop projects have funded since 2014?
1: Hmm... I'll say five hundred
0: since so two thousand and fourteen. At any given time when I do Kickstarter Spotlight, there's about like three hundred and fifty projects going on at the same time. We'll say half of those get funded. We'll say we have about that month, met much every month. Uh, it's been two years. I'll say about oh, two thousand a lot of two thousand. <laughs> The showcase goes to Matt in this instance.
2: There have been 2,766 projects funded. Woo! Wow. Now, second question. From those projects funded, how
0: much cash has been raised overall? I thought you were going to say how many are good. And I would say Tiff's number, about 500. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, I thought we were talking about good games. Sorry. All uh, right, let's even see. Even 500's high.
0: Yeah, I thought we were talking about cool many or not projects.
1: <laughs> all right, all right. So oh. you said how much
0: cash? Yes. How many? How much? How many
2: dollars have been raised throughout those 207, two hundred seven, two thousand seven hundred sixty-six
0: campaigns? If it's two thousand fourteen, this includes a couple years of Reaper Bones miniatures. This includes Sci. This includes all the Kickstarter or, um, cool mini. So I'm gonna say probably close to out of two thousand projects, probably like seventy-five million.
2: Seventy-five million.
0: Tiff?
1: I'll say fifty million.
0: $1, Bob.
2: My price is Right, yeah. Matt wins. It is $143 oh, hey. million. Dollars. Wow, but I was super low on that. 8.8 8 of that
0: was just Exploding Kittens.
1: <laughs> Jeez, I forgot about that's Exploding That's what I was thinking, kittens. like, between
0: Exploding Kittens and, like, 10 projects. Like, you give Cool Mini six of them, Exploding Kittens scythe. Like, that's, like, $30 yeah, million dollars right. right there.
1: I don't like games where I have to guess. And
0: there was 1,800 other projects.
1: Ugh. <laughs> this trivia is depressing to me.
0: People are wasting their money.
1: So much it money. It is.
0: That's why I thought it was interesting. We could,
1: like, look, we could like cure world hunger, y'all.
2: You could. <laughs> <laughs> <Stop> <laughs>
0: Instead backing of backing exploding projects. kittens. <laughs> probably
2: close to the GDP of some small country. Like, Maybe
0: we should set up a Patreon. Jeez, people apparently have cash to burn.
2: Yes, we'll get into what media earns on this later. Um, Okay, so as we all know, um, when you go through Kickstarter, there are what they call staff picks, okay? So a lot of times when you get a staff pick, it gives your project a little more credence, it gives it a little more... um,
0: And it goes on the homepage.
2: You get a little more notice on your project, okay? So here's a good one. On average, if your project is not picked as a staff pick, okay... How many backers do you think the project earns?
0: Non-staff pick backers. Tiffy, I go first on this one.
1: I don't want to play this game anymore. Just tell me the answer. Here, I'll
2: give you. I'll (laughs) give you three choices. All right. Uh huh. A 173, B 296, or C
1: 388. Um, I'll go 388. Sure.
0: I was thinking that, but there's a lot of projects that don't do well. Now, do the all these crazy games with you know the Conans of the world? Do they inflate these averages because they got 16,000 backers. They could. I'll go with the middle number, the the two number.
2: All right, Tiff was correct, 300. The average
0: non-staff pick project receives
2: 388 backers, okay? Compare that to a staff pick, okay? Now, let's compare this to a staff pick if your project is picked as a staff pick. The average is either... C 1324 B 816 or C 1722 C you, B you started or at C. because <laughs> that's because <laughs> I, that 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 I was writing them as I was speaking and I was writing them up and down by accident yeah so it
0: was 1700 800 or 12 something 13
2: 1300
0: 1300?
1: 800 or 1700 basically 1300 Whatever the second low or second one. The middle one. Go with
2: that.
0: 1,300.
2: That. Yep. You're both incorrect. The average backer count for a staff pick received 1,722 backers.
0: That's insane. Yes. So. Okay. But wait, how do they pick staff picks? Do they pick staff picks based on... So
2: the the stat they're giving here is they're saying thirty four percent of projects are chosen as staff picks, okay? And they raise sixty four percent of the total funding.
0: <laughs> My question would be like, do they pick staff picks after they get popular, or do the does it help them get popular? You know, is it is it an increase from three hundred to seventeen hundred, or is it a project that's already doing well becomes a staff pick kind of thing? I'm just
2: working off an infographic. I don't have this data. I got you. Well, I'm just thinking. <laughs> I'm thinking for our listeners out loud. Dan doesn't need this to answer these. It's okay. I'm just saying that the, the point they're trying to make is that there's a clear correlation between like very successful projects and the designation as a staff pick because like, yes. the staff pick is giving you the extra exposure. Um, and if it's a staff pick, it's likely that the quality of the project itself um, has set it apart in some sort of way. So it's just they're just trying to drive home, yeah. like make your project stand out, make it a quality pick here. 'Cause thirty four percent of the projects chosen as staff picks raised sixty four percent of that total funding dollar amount that we said, which is crazy. So just um, the question is the direction of that relationship. Yeah, so from a dollar standpoint, non staff picks, the average pledge level was twenty five thousand one hundred and sixty eight. For the staff picks, the average was one hundred and twenty nine thousand seven hundred and eight dollars. <laughs> That's insane. That's insane. This is—I I don't know. I hope people are finding this interesting because I found this fascinating. But <laughs> it could just—it oh, yeah. just could be boring radio. But
1: see, it's weird because I never pay attention to what's a staff pick. I don't. Yeah. But I don't. apparently, a lot of people do.
2: So on this last one, we're just gonna have you uh, do some ordering, okay? So do you guys have a pen and a pencil?
0: I do. All right. Well, I have a pen. I mean, do I need I didn't a pencil?
1: It's well? gonna be. no, just, it, no, it might just make episode. it easier Come for on, you. Dear.
2: Okay. So I wanna yeah, yeah. I wanna I want you guys to put I'm gonna give you five categories of popular tabletop game project, okay? And we're gonna arrange them four different times based on a couple of different categories. So the first one is by total funding by category, okay? And arrange these from most to least so you've got miniatures accessories rpgs card games and board games
0: so this is most funding overall
2: this is total funding by category matt yeah give me your give me
0: your order minis rpgs this is from least to highest or highest to least oh sorry this is highest to least you said so minis make the most because minis make a lot of money RPGs are second because Kickstarter has a boat ton of RPG games. I'm going to say... I'm tempted to put accessories on. I'm going to say card games because things like Exploding Kittens, like what they designate card games is pretty loose. B- then board games, then accessories. But those might need to be switched out.
2: Tiff?
1: Okay. So I'll do... Oh, This is complicated. Okay. So <laughs> miniatures, card games, board games, RPGs, accessories.
2: Okay. Uh-huh. You um tiff got one correct so this is total funding by category so did i get zero you got zero correct
0: Really? Oh, okay. So,
2: total funding by category. Miniatures, 6% in last place. RPGs, 11%. Accessories, 12%. Card games, 18%. And board games, a whopping 34% of total funding in the category. Now, for the sake of our listeners, I won't make you do this for all these other ones, but it's funny how that... So, that's total funding by category, but then you break it down even further. So, if you look at average backers, it goes... Board games, card games, RPGs, accessories, miniatures. So we all think mini—it's kind of funny because we all think miniatures is this like end all be all for Kickstarter projects.
1: Yeah, but are miniatures board games considered in the board game category? Like, I'm yeah. sure.
2: Yeah, some board games that have miniatures. I'm sure these. When they say miniatures, it could just be straight up pure like RPG miniatures or something like those. Those right. uh, ones Matt mentioned before. The I can't think. The, the Reaper, Reaper bones, bones and stuff like that. However, miniatures come in at the top if you look at average pledge per backer. Miniatures blow it out of the water with $97 on average for the the backer. Um, Yeah,
0: because that's your one or two armies for 100 bucks.
2: Followed with a tie of $70 for board games and accessories. And then RPGs and card games. So it's pretty interesting. And then if you go to average um, raised per project board games is far and away the winner board game projects in the category have raised 59,000 on average compared to the other four categories are in the twenties. Wow. So, some pretty cool little statistics here. Uh, I hope that wasn't too boring, but um, it was just, it was a really little cool. I'll try and maybe scan this or something or find a link to it to put in the show notes. Cause it was just a cool infographic. If you're into Kickstarter and kind of like dissecting and discussing it, it was, um, it was an
0: informative little read. I was, it's funny that uh, this comes up. I was actually just, I backed a couple games. I backed like Pentaquark and I think I backed Word Domination. And whenever I buy back too many games, I'm sure Tiff got the emails. I always think about my backing habits. So I actually went and looked and was like, how, how out of control am I right now? Being me, I put them in an Excel spreadsheet and started playing with a pivot table, um, I have backed significantly more games. I've, I started backing in 2013. 2016 is my most backed year. But I've only backed 45 projects overall. And my average backing is still only, it's below $40. So I feel okay with that. I'm spending less than $40 on, you know, on average on the games that I buy. And that's including things like Scythe, which are increasing that average. So I feel okay. But Kickstarter is kind of crazy how it gets away from you. And I know you guys are, are good, patient Kickstarter users now. And I am not. I'm a child. So, but cool. Let's go ahead and take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about how Tiff is not playing games and round out the show that way. So join Uh. us for that. Just a 20 minute segment of Tiff sighing a lot. Alright everyone, we are back and we're going to round out the show today with a discussion about gaming slumps. And this is courtesy of Tiffany B, our beloved co-host, who... Out of all of us I think kind of hits those slumps a little more frequently so we've all hit them though we all need to talk about them because you know it's not an easy thing to deal when you're a gamer and you just can't game uh, so the first thing I want to chat about is to all of us like what is a gaming slump for us and a couple of the things that I was thinking about is it is it playing no games is it having a string of like bad plays like I just keep playing games and I'm not playing well or I'm not liking the games or is it just not being able to find anything that grabs you is it the netflix effect where you're like there's nothing to watch here even though there's check hundreds check of games and
1: check all <laughs> of those
0: we'll talk about it too <laughs>
1: I don't know. I mean, whenever school starts, I have a slump. It's, it, it goes in cycles, like I'll go through where I'm playing lots of games and there's Panericon and I'm going to conventions and I'm having people over. And then I'll have a big lull where I I like start to question whether or not I am, quote, a real gamer because I'm not actually playing any games, yet I am surrounded by a wall of them. But I mean for me it's just getting busy with work and and having to cancel game nights for curriculum night and parent teacher conferences and string recruitment nights so for me right now it's not playing any games at all.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Dan, you hit a you hit any slumps? What kind of slumps do you run into? I hit two types.
2: I hit ones where I don't play games just because I get busy and I don't live within the vicinity that I have access to most of our play group. Um, So I get in those spots where I just, you know, I've got family things involved or I've got work or stuff like that. I just don't get to play. Then the other type I get, and I get this a lot more often. This isn't necessarily anyone's fault, including my own, but I just don't play any games that I want to play. I just get stuck in this string of like filler games and like Ameritrash games and party games. And I'm just like, I just want to play something heavy and soulless and things like that. And that's that's usually the result of like who I'm playing with, when I'm playing and that that sort of thing. Obviously timing, I can't start, you know, arc right at 11pm and things like that. So yeah, that that's the one I probably hit more frequently and that's just... Because I'm, I'm willing to compromise a lot of times, but I do get kind of bummed when I can't play the style of games I want to play because other people don't want to play it and things like that. So
0: those are both my types, I think. Is it worth it to just play any game? Like even in those times when it's like, okay, my choice is between not playing any games or playing this party game or playing this Ameritrash game. I don't know. Is it, is it better to be playing games than no game? I'm usually of the opinion that any game is better than no game. But I don't know if you guys share that view.
1: I think I mostly share that view. I don't know, because there are definitely games that I would rather not play any games than play that game. We already talked about one of them. Yeah. Like, I would rather <laughs> sit and watch TV than play Firefly the Dice game. It There is something just generally satisfying about sitting around the table with your friends, whether you're, like, super into the game or not.
0: Yeah, that's fair. Dan, I don't know. I'd be interested to hear your answer. Like, Do you think that any game is better than no game, or do you really just kind of want to hone in on what you want to play?
2: I mean, yeah, I I guess a little of both, but I think this is where I get ragged on and people think I'm like this elitist to some degree but I have no issue saying, no nah, I'm not going to play that game. I'm going to sit it out." I've done that with you guys plenty of times when you guys play party games or lighter games that we played 40,000 times that I don't really feel like playing again or something along those lines. Like, I have no problem sitting a game out um that I don't really feel like engaging in, and that's not because I'm trying to be like Uncle Scrooge, Bah Humbug and all that stuff. It's just I don't really feel like playing it. Like, it's just kind of like any other form of entertainment. Like, sometimes when I sit down to watch a movie, I know oh, I'm not going to want to watch, you know, a drama or a comedy. I want to watch an action thriller. So it's the same sort of thing for me. I kind of, my mood dictates what I want to play a lot of the times. So and it,
1: I do that at cons a lot and it seems to bother people.
2: Yeah, I think people when you
1: when they offer to put you in a game and you go, eh, I don't
2: think so. I, I don't, and for me, I don't understand why people are offended by that, because I, I'd rather personally if I invited someone to a game and they said, no, nah, it's not really for me. I'd be like, cool. OK, like I'm not going to be offended by that. It's not for you. It's like I'd rather not have you sit here for an hour or two being miserable and bringing down everyone else's play experience. And that's how I feel. Like sometimes I know my mood, like I'm not going to want to play a lighter game, Some, you know for some reason because that's not what i feel like playing and i'll just sit there and kind of twiddle my thumbs and, and then i get you know berated for that so it's i i kind of know when that's going to happen and when to kind of steer clear yeah
0: yeah okay i hit i my slumps i mean i play a lot of games and i have a built-in player two kelly b you play some games with me i am We'll get into kind of like how I avoid my slumps or how we try to get out of slumps. But I'm trying to be more proactive in terms of establishing game nights, contacting people, saying what I want to play. But I hit uh, personally slumps when I don't have an opponent. And that might be partially because I, I'm kind of spoiled and i get in a moment in a momentum where I have players and things to do and then when I hit those lulls like Kel goes to work and works nights so I have this free time that I don't know how to fill and that kind of like that's my that's my slump is when I get into those long periods or you know occasionally I'll get into a time when people are playing stuff that I don't really want to play and typically that's when we schedule like a big gathering and we have too many players for like a four-player game and we end up playing like six to eight player games all night and I'm like man I, I brought these games I really want to play this like three-player game I to split off i want to you know i i hint to like hey maybe i can go play this two-player game with this person and you guys can do your thing but then everyone's like no let's play together and right yeah, it's yeah.
1: i've yeah. run into that before the other thing is like i don't know if this happens to you but when you plan like a big game day and everybody brings like a giant bag of games yeah i don't often get my games played when that happens i'm usually the one to just be like yeah okay i'll play anything that's the dan so. dilemma <laughs> Is it the Dandelion?
0: But, you know, we all bring our games. We're all gamers. We all have new games, old games that we want to play. We all have long games. We all bring our games. And it's like, well, we've got 30 games for this six hour, or eight hour game day. What the hell are we going to do with this? You know, so as
2: you mentioned i'm guilty of it too but it's starting to get a little bit annoying at times because it's like i wish i wish we could just pick i'm bringing one you're bringing one you're bringing one we'll play all three of those done kind of thing but we all bring like x and as you mentioned player count dictates a lot and like we have a lot of times an odd amount of people um so and different yeah. variabilities as far as casual versus hardcore versus you know other things like like even yesterday like you guys wanted to keep playing captain sonar but me and i were like nah, i don't really feel like playing captain sonar anymore so we broke off and went and played you know a two-player game and uh, we weren't trying to be rude or anything i mean i sat down and played captain sonar um, but it's not something i wanted to play like the
0: entire afternoon it's something that like we try to schedule sometimes and we say hey let's all just bring one game or two games Then everyone broke that rule yesterday the rule yesterday was bring two games and we all brought like (laughs) 10
1: (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Well, I and it's funny. As gamers, we our whole thing is rules, but we're really bad at like following rules or coming up with a system for this. I I find that in a lot of the game groups I've been a part of, there may be a system in place for picking games, but it gets ignored or forgotten. People get excited about things that they buy and we break yeah. rules and, you know. I'm a
0: fan of the stack method. You stack a game. Everyone picks a game that they want to play. You put it in a stack and then you roll a die. You see what comes up like if people can come to a consensus that's fine but when we're like we've all got these games pick your one game put it on roll the die the die is law and then that game comes off the stack and you keep the same stack and you keep going so everybody's got a chance you know there's at least equal odds that you're gonna you're gonna get your gameplay but so some of the things that you know we've already touched on like how do we end up in these slumps we talked about time management so work i know for like tiff that's a big thing dan you just started your new job like work is tedious (laughs) when it comes to you know it interferes with trying to get things done um i the interesting thing here is like dan you've got a son now and a wife who what am i trying to say you've got a blossoming family whereas like i'm over here with just kel and we're not doing a whole lot we're just a married couple who's doing our own thing and tiff i don't know where you fall i mean you don't have kids but i don't know where you fall in terms of your family obligations getting in the way of gaming
1: if it's like family obligation. I mean, yeah, I guess it is family obligations because Brendan's my family and you know, we have things that we do together and it doesn't include board gaming. Yeah. Like he's not yeah. a board gamer. He participates in game night when we have it every Thursday, but he's doing that for me. It's not his first choice. So we go out and you know, we take pictures and go places and go out to eat and visit with friends. That takes a huge chunk of time and especially when school's in session. It takes a lot of the time, and I can't even imagine what having a kid would add on to that.
0: Well, Dan. you teach him how to poke games.
1: <laughs> That's true. Right, Dan? Dan, this is where you talk about Tristan.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs>
2: well, I'm in
0: that strange period
2: where, like, he's too young to do much gaming but I have like hope for the future so yeah he helps me poke my games and sort them but then that just makes me all the more sad because I know I'm not going to be playing these games anytime soon and that's not his fault or my wife's fault or anyone's fault like I said it's just I have uh work responsibilities and family responsibilities and obligations and things like that so gaming is not top of my stack in life if that kind of links to our podcast in any way (laughs)
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a priorities thing, right? You know, you're going to pick your family before games, and it gets. It gets even tougher when we're talking about producing content you know I feel really bad when I don't play games and I I have a lot of stress over not playing games because I you know I feel like I don't have anything to talk about on the podcast if I don't
0: well and here we are with our discussion topic you know Dan and I love you very much Tiff and you can always come here and talk about whatever you know and at, watch you, can have you an talk about
1: whatever yeah no I know I mean you
0: can always have an opinion you're informed enough and it, I guess this is the the idea that likes even when we're in these slumps. Do you need to be actively participating to still consider yourself a gamer, Just to still consider yourself like not in a slump, even if you feel like in a slump, you know, just just what do you do to get out of these things? So your interest levels are waning or you're out of sync. One of the things that I was thinking about is like just consuming content or being out in social media and just kind of being in the world, even if you're just kind of like treading water, you're not playing anything, but just kind of being up to date. Does that help? Does that make you feel more integrated and help you kind of pull out of that feed? feeling
1: mm, i don't know in a lot of ways it makes me feel worse because then i'm i'm you know board games are just like a river that's just keep it keeps flowing yeah. no matter what you're doing and you know when you're just standing in the middle of it <laughs> without a raft it just it can be <laughs> yeah. overwhelming and you know i don't know i think i'm a gamer no matter how many games i'm playing a week yeah i don't really have a built-in player and I don't you know it it takes a lot more effort for me to get my games played but I do play more games than your average person and I know a lot more about games than your average person so you know I try not to stress about it but I'm not going to say it's something that doesn't ever pop up and you know I consuming content just makes me feel more out of it (laughs) somehow Like, it if I'm not playing games, I'll generally not be... Like, you'll see me disappear from Twitter for big hunks of time, and it's because I'm not playing.
0: Mm. Interesting. I, I sometimes try to use it to kind of, I don't know, comfort myself. I'm like, man, I'm not playing games. This is a bummer. I mean, sometimes it has that effect where it would almost, like, bum me out more. But, you know, listening to other people being in the know, maybe I'll try to, like, write something or, like, think about the content... If ever I'm like, hey, I made show notes three weeks mm-hmm. in advance, it's because like I was just thinking about games and wanted to be doing something, so I'll just try to, to integrate myself.
1: Yeah, in a lot of ways, the social media, I feel like, you know, you're like that puppy at the pet store and you're just like watching all your friends get... Bought, like oh man i want a family to go home with and and you're just sitting there in your glass cage all sad like that's me sad,
0: sad puppy tiff It's a sad <laughs> you're you're full of metaphors that are powerful but very sad right very that's, sad. that's
1: how i feel inside <laughs> i hope you
0: put in some sarah mclaughlin bumper music
2: We might have to.
1: I don't know if we can afford that. I'll I'll find like a knockoff. Isn't it free if (laughs) you
0: do it like under 20 seconds or something like that?
1: There's some fair use. Yeah. See what we can do about it.
0: Well, so one of the things that I was thinking about also in terms of slumps. So I think I am the kind of person, just because I have access to so many people who have games, like I don't have everything in my collection. And sometimes I look at my collection like that, like I mentioned the Netflix effect, and I think, I don't know what I want to play. Like none of these things are jumping out at me. I have brand new games that I just bought and I'm like, I don't want to play that. Maybe I'm spoiled. But um, is is there any credence to like going back to the classics? Because sometimes I look on my shelf and I'm like, you know what? Maybe we should just play Belfort or maybe we should just break out like San Juan or Battleline, like just some some older games that I know I like, even if I'm not feeling it, just like maybe cracking that box open will help get me going again.
1: There's definitely something to be said for sitting down and playing a game that you don't have to learn rules and it's not a new experience and you're just playing games for game's sake. But again, I think for us, probably, it goes into, you know, you're creating content. Do the listeners want to hear about my play of Stone Age? Probably not. I mean, I could tell you all about Waterdeep every week, but I don't think that that's going to help our listenership.
0: <laughs> I don't want to hear about Waterdeep. How many black Deep cubes either. did you take, Tiff? <laughs> how many i don't think that's gonna help
1: my friendship with dan so dan yeah, as like know, our
0: our call to the new aficionado like do you ever have a draw to go back to games that you've already played or do you want to just keep on moving through your collection
2: no i do that's why i haven't bought that many um in the last few months i mean if gen con was anything last year at gen con i bought 26 games this year i bought seven and then i sold five of got them rid of them all so like, yeah, my, my criteria has, has been raised, but I will say like a lot, some of my slumps are caused too, and not getting certain games played because I want to play them with certain people. I know that sounds kind of bad maybe, but I know there's certain games that certain people aren't going to like. And when certain people are around, I don't present that game and it's something I really want to play, but, um, you know, I, I know it's not going to go over well. And it's not going to give me the experience I want. So I just shelf it. So sometimes that gets shelved and shelved and shelved. So, yeah.
0: That's why whenever I ask Dan to play games, he's like, I don't have anything I want to play. Because he doesn't (laughs) want to... You're that person. He doesn't (laughs) want to spoil the experience on me. No. It's a waste. It's
1: tough. I I mean, I don't have a large game group. My game group at this point is just three other people. One, including my husband, who probably doesn't really want to be gaming. But when one of the other guys is out of town for work, it really, like messes things
0: up well so tiff how does it work out with i know you played like with craig and kopak like you branched out a little bit and did your little like ohio game session and i know you schedule those panera cons now I, things get in the way obviously but do you do you try to kind of to fight like you're you're like using scheduling to kind of create a new game group to create something stable that you can at least work toward well
1: that's totally what Paneracon is, and we're kind of like expanding that into more than one. But you know, it's tough because we we try to do it once a month. That mostly works out. There are certain times a year, like the very last month of school, that it just doesn't work out for me. But that does help a lot. But there are times where that Paneracon date is coming up, and I really don't want to go. Sometimes, like real. Real life will grate on me to the point where I'm just like, no, I kind of just want to. I mean, that happened to me this week where I we had game night scheduled. I finally had everybody available and I got home and I was tired and I didn't feel very well. And I was starting to get a headache. And I'm like, I don't think it's a good idea to have everybody over because I'm going to be in a bad mood. And I don't want to have someone waste their night on me being crabby. So it, good there for are you all kinds of factors. Oh, if, that's my one special talent.
0: No, I, I mean, I think that there's something to be said about that. This is a hobby, you know, and, and Dan has said it many a times when I berate him about producing content like this isn't this isn't our job. This isn't our families like this is this falls down the line in terms of priority. And and sometimes I think maybe being in a slump could be a good thing. Not Cause it wouldn't be a slump then. I think like taking a break. There's nothing wrong with that. Kind of detaching and realizing that <laughs> there's a world outside of of board games, which is something for me who gets so sucked in can really be tough. And like I just want to keep on going, and then I lose touch, and all of a sudden like I'm I dress like a meeple and I, wow, things like that. Yeah.
1: To to get back into it. Yeah. Cosplay as board game pieces. As a meeple, yeah. Sure. I realize that I'm making choices regarding gaming that are causing me not to game. Like this isn't, I can't blame anybody else, but myself. I am busy with school because I care about my job. I add private lessons to my schedule. I have a choice over how many of those I teach. I have an extracurricular, you know, board game club. I have an extracurricular chamber orchestra. I'm adding things to my schedule because I want to do them. They do keep me from gaming, but it is ultimately my choice (laughs) and i i try to remind myself that that i want to be doing these other things and board gaming is fun but it doesn't i don't have to do it every week to be a quote real gamer and uh you know i try not to feel bad about it but that's a hard thing to do when everybody around you is playing games and i
0: don't know yeah i mean this is this this is a real conversation tiff (laughs) yeah you know
1: I, I like to keep it real I and I I've talked to other gamers that have these same problems like you see the content I mean there's a new podcast every 10 seconds of, of, yeah. of, of people gaming I mean there are just there's so much content and it, it makes you feel like there's all this game how do other people do this I've said that so many times
0: <laughs> I you know I don't know they end up like me I'm not a very well well-rounded person Tiff you know
1: yeah I guess so I saw on the show notes that you mentioned you put solo gaming in there, and I'm trying to get a little bit more of that going on.
0: Yeah, because I wasn't when sure I don't, if that would help fill the void.
1: I, lo- you know, I started with solo gaming in a lot of ways because I started with the same problems that I have now. Like, I don't have a group of people that are maybe as into this as me trying new games every week, that kind of a thing. Like, they like playing games, but they don't have to play the hotness. So in order to do some of that, I started playing solo games, and it does work. It, it gives me the same feeling, and a-, and a lot of times when I'm in that, like, I don't want to be around people mode. Solo gaming's perfect. I just yeah. got to motivate myself to get out all the pieces. And yeah, solo gaming helps, I think.
0: Dan, you've been doing any solo gaming? Nope. Ha! I wasn't sure. I know you were doing coin series games, things like that. You've been getting some, some different stuff floating around. I wasn't sure if you were digging in it at all. Nope. If I want a solo game, I'll play a video game. I say that all the time. Okay. Well, I want to round it out with just like a successful thing that I've been doing lately in terms of trying to keep my gaming going, but in a very manageable way. is like I've, I've been scheduling. So for the last couple of weeks, about a month now, I've been using Facebook events to schedule a game night on Fridays because... Friday's was always like hit or miss. Sometimes Dan comes down, he's available. Sometimes people are around. And uh, what we did when we were doing pandemic legacy is we did Friday night game nights for a little while and it it worked out well to to schedule. So I send out a Facebook event. I pick a game from my collection at the moment is what I'm doing. And I say, you know, this is the game, what the game night will feature. We can play stuff after it. I I have no problem, you know, picking a game after, but when you come in, this game is going to be on the table and it's going to be set up. And, I had people pick, like, their scythe factions ahead of time, their rune-bound characters. So I had literally, they you walk in and sit down, and the game is set up, ready to go. Your personal spot is ready. I post, like, watch-it-played videos or tutorials so you can, you know look ahead of time if you want to if not i'll teach you the game but i'm finding some success with it because people can look at the event and say can i come because i do this about a week ahead of time can i come do i want to come i know what game's going to be played you know can i stay for this part you know it it just helps to make game night more manageable and i found some success with it dan's not on facebook so i just text him like hey we're playing this if you want to come and maybe i can find a different scheduling tool but I, i really like how it's working out
1: i could see that being super successful but when you describe it i'm like that sounds like a lot of work. Like if someone else in my game group were doing that, it would motivate me to come and play games. But it sounds to me like you're kind of the ringleader in your crew. And, and that's what it is for me. So when we play games, it's the most exhausting for, for me. And I don't yeah. know. I That's why Paneracon works because I'm not the organizer of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I try to keep it manageable in in that it's one game and I try to give my players and myself a week. So when I pick the game, I pick a game I want to play and that's when I'll break out the rule book and just leave it like on my bedside table. Work my way through it over a week, refresh, get ready to go. And it it does excite me when I see that people are coming, I guess is the other thing, because sometimes I'll go, we'll schedule a game night and I'll go and I don't know when people are going to be there. I don't know what we're playing. Like I get excited when I know I get. You know we're playing this game. It's my responsibility. I like setting it up. I Thursday night. I Kels at work. Take some time. Have a beer. Set up Runebound for an hour. It's great. Loved it. Had fun. Well, you know maybe
1: I need to give the Matt way a try. I don't know. It's just something.
0: I, I think that there's value to scheduling. Like Dan points out, people bring in too many games. I think that you know this is a very specific measure. But even just like tell me what pick a game that you want to play and we'll put it on the list and that that will be the game that we play i have no problem and i even get i i like that a lot better it wastes so much time trying to pick what you want to play so true so all right i, I find success I'll report in back. scheduling.
1: i'll try it i'll try matt's scheduling system you're like my intervention you're my gaming intervention specialist
0: <laughs> well that's what we need to do we need you're to give me some an strategies. online game night tiff and schedule okay. you put it on the books we pick an online game i'm there we'll be there you put You're it great. on
1: the books that's what i Dan can come to from you
0: <laughs> so yeah i don't yeah I, don't mind. I like leading the show i like knowing the people are coming like to the to the game night that's exciting for me so anyway gaming slumps we all hit them we can get out of them there's different ways but it's also not a bad thing to be in one you just don't get to listen to tiff talk at all in the episode
1: <laughs> we should start a thread on the guild i'd like to hear other people's gaming slump stories To make me feel better.
0: Comfort if you need me. to know where to where to go talk about your gaming slumps, you can do so on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash League of Nonsensical Gamers. You can always shoot us an email about your board gaming slumps podcast at nonsensicalgamers.com. We'll start a thread over on the BGG Guild number 2077. You can go to guild.nonsensicalgamers.com. You can post pictures of you in a board gaming slump and hashtag nonsensicalgamers on Instagram. Oh, I
1: love it. <laughs> yeah, just, just selfies you of you like, not
0: playing games. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, if you enjoy the content, if you like what we provide, iTunes reviews are a big plus. They help the show get noticed. They help give us feedback, positive or constructive. We don't mind. And I would love to read some on the show. So feel free to give us some iTunes reviews or Stitcher or Google Play or just send me a note via mail that says thumbs up. That, that works too. Uh, it's been fun on episode 52 here. If you want to reach out to us personally, you can do so on Twitter. Tiffany B, if they want to chat with you about organizing game nights, where can they do that?
1: I am at inept gamer.
0: And Dan, if they want to talk to you about how much all Firefly games are bad, where can they do that?
2: At league nonsense or at scandalous underscore dad.
0: And you can find me at cinnamon buns spelled phonetically. I saw a tweet from Dan where some uh, one of our listeners, I suppose, was asking for the cinnamon buns handle, and I guess it is that bad. I'm not changing it's it. It's
1: bad. You but I know it's bad. Create an alternate, like the. Nope. Nope. Okay. You,
0: you got to put in work if you want to follow me on wow. Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all for joining us. Uh, be here uh, next week for a broadcast news episode. It has been a pleasure. Everyone say goodbye. Bye. Toodles. Bye. <laughs>
2: that long explanation but that game i don't know that game was perplexing i really wanted to like it
0: it didn't, like, in the moment, I wasn't upset about it. No, right. But then I'm reflecting on it, and I'm like, wait, I just, I remember being on my phone and just not caring, and, like, a game, like, I'm the kind of guy who's, like, gung-ho about everything, so if that game didn't grab me, then I'm like, well, shit, it didn't grab me. I
2: think what, for me, was the, um, it was the ability to move off the board and then back on it wherever the hell you wanted yeah, to. Yeah, you could just go wherever you want. Yeah, it just cost you one extra action, but it was like, okay. Within
0: two moves, you could be wherever you needed to be, if you, pretty much. If
2: you took that out of it, it might make it a little more interesting, because then you got to rotate things. And playing and then yeah yeah i don't know maybe i played it wrong i'll have to double check on that i always feel bad when we yeah, don't like we'll something. double check
0: it rounds us out as reviewers we don't have to like everything there was
2: there was there was a bunch of people i mean i say a bunch there's at least five or six of the early reviews and there was only like maybe yeah. 15 of them that were like no this is like a three like this was one it's per- getting
0: eights overall it's like a seven seven um yeah but
2: if you read the comments, people haven't played it yet. A lot of them are like yeah. Kickstarter backers. I'm like, you didn't play it. Yet.
0: Well, that's the thing is, I think that they just they slapped a crazy theme with some crazy artwork on it and said, let's see if this sells because they I don't think they had a game to stand on. If you picked any other theme, there's no way this would be doing well. I don't see what's uh, this is just another one of those like un or uh, forgettable games. Like other than the art, am I remembering anything of my experiences? No, I remember I had a lady with a unicorn growing through her stomach, but I don't remember like that crazy combo I pulled off or anything like that yeah maybe, i don't know maybe yeah anywho all right let's come back let's talk about some failed and flip stuff that you guys got rid of and then we'll run through some kickstarter